Welcome to the Transform Podcast, the podcast devoted to discussions of how the biblical worldview transforms all of life. I'm Corey Barnes, and with me is my co-host, Aaron Rice. So, Aaron, this is going to air December 23rd, man. We are uh, we are on the cusp of the, the full celebration of Christmas. It's an exciting time, and... Uh, and so, you know, as we, we kind of talk through some things with our listeners, those that are sticking with us this close to Christmas time, uh, you know, one of the things you and I had talked about is how it would be great to do a, a podcast devoted directly to the discussion of wh- how, is, how is the Bible informing our celebration of Christmas? So just a question in, in your family, uh, how does the biblical text kind of factor into that? And also, I'm always curious to ask, how does uh, displays of the nativity, is that something that you're family does or is it something that you guys see a lot in the community yeah i think for us we've uh tried to invest our minds in a saturation of the scripture with advent we've been talking about that with um the prophet uh speaking into our lives or the prophet speaking into our lives and then as we get closer and closer and closer we're beginning to read those scriptures that lead us to the actual christ event you know um, we've been thinking about Advent and thinking about the darkness and the long nights and the short days and focusing our minds on the coming light. And then as we get closer, we're reading more and more scriptures that are really poignant. And then finally, when we read those Luke 2 passages on, mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, even though we've heard it over and over during the Advent season, it's all the more sweet mm-hmm. uh, as we experience that. And so, yeah, we typically read... Um, the Luke account and from Matthew and kind of put those together and see how those marry and what the differences are with our kids. And we'll read, obviously, from a variety of uh, um, sources. So we'll read maybe the Jesus Storybook Bible for our children a couple of times and kind of see how that works in. And then, honestly, I love the poetic nature of the uh, good good old KJV. And mm-hmm. um, so we'll read that on Christmas Eve at our house and whenever I'm planning worship services here on campus or in church, I'll tend to use the, the KJV, particularly at Christmas, because so many of us have heard those over the years and it brings back memories and helps us picture it in um, a way that maybe we're not getting whenever we read the same things that we're reading every week. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we do focus on those things, particularly um, as we get closer and closer to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And as far as nativity scenes, you know, whenever we're growing up, at least for me, I think about my home church that put up, you know, the plastic plastic manger scene mm-hmm. on the on the grounds of the church with a um, you know a little uh, stable esque looking thing that they sit in and so whenever I think of of the nativity that's the first image I have and my parents have a uh, a crush that they've been putting up since uh, um, since they were married we, we mm-hmm. matter of fact we put it up uh, right on Thanksgiving break whenever I was there helping them set up their um, Christmas decorations, we were putting that up and it just floods my mind with memories. That exact same um, nativity scene has been set up in my home, my parents' home, since before I was born. And so that brings back memories and it helps me picture those things. And so one of the things that's interesting is I think back to my time in seminary with nativity scenes and my wife worked at the Southern Baptist of Texas convention when we were in, in Fort Worth. And um, they had a huge, nearly life-size nativity set that they would set up in the um, 
in in the the lobby there and obviously there were going to be three magi there and what was hilarious is a handful of guys in the office would take the 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 the, the, the magi and put them in various places all over the building mm. so you would be you know you would go into a storage closet and oh there would be the purple wise man you know yeah. and and they would make their way back to the center of the building with a nativity set the next day somebody else would do something similar so that brings up the question how do we celebrate this and what's a an appropriate way to put up a nativity scene i know you probably have some thoughts on that yeah um this is one of the things that bible scholars can be jerks about oh yeah is sure. uh, the nativity and for reasons we're going to talk about in just a moment so uh um, especially concerning the uh, the magi or the wise men, you know, should they be included or should they not be included? Um, so, uh, so what I wanted us to do is to to essentially read through the story. This is really familiar for everyone, but read through the story as as Luke tells it, Luke two, and then kind of base on that and, and and use that as a jumping off point. Okay, what based on Luke two. What elements belong in the nativity and which ones don't. And then kind of explore, okay, also we have this text in Matthew 2, which is where we find about the Magi. We're not going to read that text, but talk about how it intersects with our celebration of Christmas. Um, and uh, we'll be able to talk a little bit about how there's this this foreign term for many, the celebration of Epiphany, mm-hmm. um, where the, the wise men would intersect even more. Um, but then also just, just really trying to think through, as we consider all of these elements of the story of Christmas, how do they inform foundational issues of our worldview. And and again, we're not trying to talk about this to to be very scholarly, and we're not trying to deconstruct Christmas into something that's just philosophical. What we're trying to do is say, okay, there's things about Christmas that actually affect the way that we live every single day of the year, and we want to look at some of those elements. So let's let's look at the the text uh, from Luke chapter two because we're we're primarily looking here at meaning. Uh, I, I fully, you and I have talked about this before. I agree fully with the the beauty of the King James version, and it's still what my family reads in our celebration on Christmas Day. Um, But I want us to read in the English Standard Version because I think it is a little bit easier for us to just at a meaning level to understand it. So this is Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 and then we'll read through um, we'll read through here in verse 19. Um, So the text says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, that there will be <clears throat> that there will be for all the people sorry, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. All right, so as we consider this this text, and I apologize for missing the reading there. Partly that is because it's so familiar in the King James. And if you read it in something else, it's hard to get through. Uh, we see some foundational elements to the narrative of uh, the, the narrative of the nativity. So let's start with this. First of all, how does the how does the the fact that all of this is in response to Caesar Augustus calling a census really inform our understanding of of the celebration of the nativity and the celebration of Christmas because what we see here is an earthly king and, and a, a an earthly king who remains uh, noteworthy for his power throughout history so even through the centuries we still understand Caesar Augustus to have been a powerful person how does this affect our celebration of Christmas because it, it's showing us right that here we have the king of kings born and somehow his story intersects with a story about earthly power. What, 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 what's that doing to us as we, as, or what should it be doing to us as we celebrate the nativity and celebrate Christmas? You know, I think it really shows us God's providence over the things that are going on on a global scale in mm-hmm. the world, right? And so if we think about our perspective as 21st century um, Western Christians, Protestants, we wonder how can God allow some of the things to go on around the world with some of you know, the most tyrannical leaders and, that we can remember and fathom, and yet we know that he's working and moving in those things. His providence has a kind smile in the end. And so even with the work of Herod and his power and his lust for um, this desire for um, making known himself and making his power greater, he uses that power to bring about the birth of Christ in his own good timing, right? And so it's happening in the place that he prescribed, that God prescribed hundreds of years before in the city of David. Why? Because they went there for a census that an earthly ruler would bring about. And um, so as we're thinking about this Christmas story and kind of looking at it on a more worldview level, we have to see that God's providence is sure and that it is secure and that it is accomplishing his purposes. And so he even uses Herod to bring about the fulfillment of his prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have here with, you know, here's this Roman this this Roman emperor and then also we, we have Herod, and we'll really pick him up in, in Matthew 2. So these, you know, Roman emperor, tyrannical regional king, acting out of their own design. You know, why does, why does Caesar want to count? There's two reasons that you count people, and this is why the one of them is to tax, tax them, yeah. which is why the King James says tax. The other is to, you know, just, just <clears throat> declare your greatness because you have X amount of people under your mm-hmm. rule. Well, what we have here is that as these earthly powers work for their own ends. What is God doing? He is arranging. This is how he's going to get the Holy Family into Bethlehem, which all the way back, as you said, Micah chapter 5, that's going to be in Bethlehem that we're going to see the king born. Um, so, So we see this happening. So here's the next thing that we see. We see a particular group of people coming together in the the nativity. 
Um, so, so let's start with the characters that we see here in Luke, okay? And then, and then we'll talk about whether or not the right, right, you know, the the Magi should be there. And I'll, I'll I'll probably rant about the drummer boy for a moment too. But the um, the the characters that we see here in Luke is first we see Mary and Joseph. Uh, the there's several things that we do need to understand about the characters of Mary and Joseph as they're typically presented in the Nativity. Uh, so you and I have, you know, you and I are both fathers. Uh, I think that we could probably share with our listening audience that, uh, you know, our our wives, while while you know both beautiful women, did not look. They did not have this serene, folded hands. Right, right, look. right. So, right. so I mean, we do need to realize that there has been a certain amount of there. There's been some romanticizing mm-hmm. of what's happening going on there. We've taken you know, first of all, just a lot of the the reality and the grittiness out, but we also understand why. The, the reason is, is because we're trying to emphasize this is a very special mm-hmm. time. The, the, the character of, of the Holy Family that I, I really think there's sometimes a problem with, Mary looks very serene in most nativity uh, depictions, and Mary also looks very intentional. In other words, you see this, this you know, Luke chapter 2, verse 19 moment right. that she's pondering up these mm-hmm. things in her heart. Joseph often looks aloof, which I've always kind of had a problem with. Here's Mary usually kneeling down by the, the manger itself. We need to remember the manger is the the trough the that Jesus trough. is laid mm-hmm. in. Um, kneeling down by the manger, Joseph is often looking up, kind of looking to the side, you know. Like, what's just happened here? You that's know? right. But we need to remember in both Luke and Matthew, this is the culmination of Joseph's part in the story. Absolutely. And he has been so faithful. And so we need to take that very seriously. Um, and, of course, in the, in the Holy Family, we have the, the, the baby Jesus lying in the manger. So here, then, we have another major worldview issue. Here is very God of very God, the, the second person of the Trinity, enclosed in human flesh and lying in a manger. What, what is, how does this inform biblical worldview? How does this inform the way that Christians look at the world every day? I think we have to really think about the humility of the way that God came. I mean, with the last podcast we talked about Hark the Herald Angels Sing and the way that we speak about him being clothed in flesh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. So we have the God of creation dwelling in the feeding trough of animals, smelly animals around You've got um, some of the lowliest of lowly that are we're going to introduce in a few moments coming to this point to worship and bow down before a baby. Mm-hmm. And maybe they haven't even unpacked that mentally. Maybe Joseph and Mary have, but I doubt that anybody else has really unpacked the gravity of the king of the ages in really a kind of a lonely moment in a feeding trough, you mm-hmm. know, and that God would stoop from the heavens. I was talking with Lane um, just a few weeks ago, and she was working on some poetry um, uh, editing for her students, and they had been talking about uh, a variety of poetic things going on um, at, at with the coming of Christ. And she said, Aaron, you've got to think about this. Whenever the first time the Christ child opens his eyes, the last thing that he saw in heaven was the splendor of heaven. Mm-hmm. And he lives in the womb for nine months, opened his eyes, 
and he's like a baby. He can't see clearly. He can't express himself just like every other child, mm-hmm. right? And so you're going from this throne room to this, what is this, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's a very intimate moment. It's a very humble moment. And we know that it's got it's, it's a long track headed to the cross, right? Mm-hmm. And so That's we right. have to think about the long track of this, that he comes from the throne room of heaven, stays in the womb for nine months, and then opens his eyes, and what does he see? A stable, kind of lonely, kind of smelly, clothed in human flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, and so we have to think about those sorts of weighty things that are leading us to the cross and his triumphant resurrection mm-hmm. in, in the long run. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I, I think it's super important to do exactly what you're doing there and connecting incarnation, not just with the imminence of, of God. So so that that is a foundational element. God has come to us. Right. We I think and I think that in the Christian celebration of Christmas, we still have a lot of that emphasis in the way that we're contemporary our can you look at our contemporary celebration, there's still a lot of emphasis on that in. But then taking this to the cross, what has happened here and this is there there's a there's a book that I would just really recommend people pick up. And it's a a book that's from, uh, you know, it's 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 a, a book from way back in church history, Athanasius on the Incarnation, mm-hmm. and basically what he's doing is he's saying, why is it that at, at Christmas, at the the point of incarnation, we're thinking already about the cross? Well, we're thinking about that because that which is incorruptible, the divine word, has taken on corruptible flesh. Mm-hmm. So you now have this this fusion in this conflict of that which is incorruptible and that which is corruptible and the incorruptibility of the father or the the incorruptibility of the son is going to win out what does this mean that this is why we all now can have bodily resurrection absolutely is because now god has come and put himself in human form this is huge for our biblical worldview. Now we've got to move on quickly through some of these others. Here's the next thing we see. Let's let's bring Matthew into play as well on this. We see in Luke shepherds and in Matthew magi coming in. These these two groups of people. For us there's no surprise because this is one of the most commonly known cultural narratives for us has mm-hmm. become a part of our own cultural narr- narrative and we just accept it. But let's let's put ourselves for just a moment back in a first century context and say, "Hey, wait a moment." The, the king of the world has been born, and not only is there a, a scandal because he's being laid in a feeding trough, but now also he has the most unlikely of worshipers. So in, in Luke 2, we have the shepherds. It's important for us to realize shepherds are on the fringes of society and often considered social pariahs. These are guys who are sleeping outside every night. This is not the group of people that you expect to come and worship the king of kings. Why shepherds, Aaron? Why, 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 is that, why, why does God move the story in that way? You know, I, well, I don't think we've talked about this a whole lot, but one of the things that Lane and I love to do is to watch um, historical dramas. And so I love watching historical dramas and seeing how royalty interacts with society and with the ones that they are ruling. And so over the years, uh, we've watched all kind of things. And so recently, I just finished watching the third season of The Crown, and you see how all of the people that surround the royal family are supposed to be special. They're supposed to not even really be human with the way that they carry themselves in an air of we support this crown and we are all about this and they smell a certain way and they look a certain way. Here, 
With the king of the ages, we have these outcasts that don't look a certain way. They don't smell a certain way. They don't have a financial means. They don't have a birth that would be worth coming to see the king of kings. And it, it immediately says, as soon as the king of the world comes into the world, it says that he comes for all. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just come for the, the court family. He comes for all the outcasts. And then, as we see later on in Matthew, he comes for the Magi, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you see this dichotomy of people, the smart, the potentially wealthy, the influencers, the, the culture setters in mm -hmm. many ways, and then those that are in the outlying, the, the most despised or rejected or uh, outcast group still being welcomed to worship the king of the ages. And so I think it says that, that the Christ child comes for all. I mean, yeah. it's very clear. And then you see a, a, a heavenly stamp of approval, as it were, or a heavenly worship from the angels. And so you have it from above, mm -hmm. and then you have it from both spectrums on earth. You yeah. have a heavenly worship and then an earthly worship all coming to bow down and give praise and homage to the king of kings. Yeah. And so in Luke, whenever we, we have the, the statement um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, and one of the reasons I wanted to read from the ESV is because we get kind of a, a, a better textual tradition in, in the modern translations. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards the men with whom he is pleased, mm -hmm. right? So we ask the questions, well, with which men is he pleased? And the only answer that Luke can give us is, well, people like these shepherds. That's right. People on the outcast of society. Mm -hmm. Now, a great many more otherwise. Sure. But, but here's these shepherds with whom he's pleased. And so this is one of the things that informs our worldview is that Jesus has come not just—Jesus has not just come to those who are in high society. Jesus has not come to those who are religious elites or cultural elites. Jesus has come for the lowly. So he has come into humble circumstances. He has come to humble men and to humble women. And this reminds us that there can be no barriers to the gospel. Now, as you're pointing out, the, the Magi remind us that neither are the other end of the spectrum right. barred. This means that this is the reason Christianity is not a religion that demands us either promote ourselves to a certain caste in society, nor does it demand believers to cast off their riches and live a life of poverty in order to get in. Christ has come to people at all ends of the social spectrum. I mean, it speaks again and again on multiple levels as we're talking about the humility and the contrite of heart. I mean, we see that in the way that the shepherds come in the lowly esteem, right? They come in and do this. And then we also see the confirmation of the Apostle Paul in this moment. It's not just for slave nor free nor Jew nor Greek. It's everybody's That's coming, right. right? And so you see this um, unity in the gospel, unity in the good news around the manger. Yeah, that's right. The The last thing I want to uh, to talk about here is, is that we have after Jesus is born, meaning after the, the initial narrative of the birth of Jesus, chronologically after the story that we just read in Luke, we have Matthew 2, and we have the Magi or the wise men coming in. Now we ask ourselves, who, you know, what, what does this word Magi or wise man mean? They are readers of the stars mm -hmm. from the east, meaning these are pagan men that are are from some type of high social standing. Now they're 
you know, despite the popular carol, they are never never described as kings, mm-hmm. nor is there ever a description that there's three of them, uh, which, you know, both of those things can kind of mess up the way we often set up nativity scenes. Um, but uh, but the, the important thing is, is here are, here are pagan men that God communicates with. And how does he do it? Through the stars, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I want, I want you to just imagine for a moment that someone has come to you and said, hey, you know something? God really just told me to look at my horoscope this morning, yeah. and there's a king that's going to be born. And is it showing us that that's legitimate means to find God's truth? Not at all. But what it's doing is it's saying, here come these, here come these, these, these pagan, the, these pagan men who, who see in the sky a sign and God communicates to them, a king has been born, come and worship him. And so what do we have? We have now the nations coming to Bethlehem, encountering the true king, and they don't leave because the stars tell them to leave. Mm-hmm. What do they leave doing? They leave worshiping the true king. So one of the ways that the the narrative of the nativity informs our worldview is that every time we see these 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 magi, these wise men coming from the east, kneeling before the the manger, kneeling in the crash, we should say that's right because the nations come to Jesus. And from the very beginning of his story, he has desired the nations to come to him. And in my family tradition, one of the most precious uh, ways that my family celebrates Christmas is every year, and actually until this year, for more than 50 years, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. My my grandmother had some health issues, and my family has had to delay it until this coming Sunday. But every year, the Barnes family gathers on Duran Highway, and they set up those same plastic danger figurines Mm -hmm. that you were talking about churches having. I would almost guarantee you they are exactly the Uh, same. It's it's amazing. 50 years later, so we've been doing this more than 50 years, you can still buy the same figurines. And, uh, and, and we set them up, and every time we set up those wise men, always coming from the east, always coming from the east fence of my, my grandfather's fields, uh, that, that's something that has become a very dear thing for me to think about, how ah, the nations come in, mm-hmm. and, uh, and God is bringing the nations in through Jesus. The, the last thing I'll say, and then I know you have a, a hymn that you're going to, or a carol that you're going to read to us as we, we go out, but the last thing I'll say is that the curmudgeonly Bible scholar is going to come out for just a moment. If you have a little drummer boy in your uh, nativity scene, or if you have an angel named Gloria who's standing over the top of the manger, just know this does not make you a heretic, but it's it's as historically accurate as putting a hobbit or a dragon over the top <laughs> of your nativity scene. So so if, if you're doing that, please know if, if, if I ever come to your house, uh, I'm not going to think that you're a heretic, but I, but I am going to think that you're just really not, uh, you're not being really very historically accurate at all in your celebration of, of the nativity. So Reginald Heber penned the text for holy, holy, holy. He also penned a text that is beautifully descriptive of the things that we've been talking about today with inclusion of stars and worship around the um, Christ child. And the title or the first line of the text is, Hail the blessed morn, see the great mediator. And I'd like to read that as we close. Hail the blessed morn, see the great mediator. Down from the regions of glory descend. Shepherds, go worship the babe in the manger. Lo, for a guard the bright angels attend. Brightest and best of the sons of the morning, 
Dawn on our darkness and lend us thine aid. Star in the east, the horizon adorning, guide where our infant Redeemer is laid. Cold on his cradle, the dewdrops are shining. Low lies his head with the beasts of the stall. Angels adore him in slumber reclining, maker and monarch and savior of all. Shall we not yield him in costly devotion, odors of Eden and orders divine, gems of the mountain and pearls of the ocean, myrrh from the forest and gold from the mine? Vainly we offer each ample oblation, vainly with gifts would his favor secure. Richer by far is the heart's adoration, dearer to God are the prayers of the poor. Brightest and best of the sons of the morning, dawn on our darkness and lend us thine aid. Star of the east, the horizon adorning, guide where our infant redeemer is laid. Thank you for listening to the Transform podcast. Transformed is a resource provided by Shorter University, a Christian liberal arts university in Rome, Georgia. For more resources provided by Transformed, including podcast episodes, book reviews, and articles, check out transform.shorter.edu. For more information on Shorter University, go to shorter.edu. Tune in next year as we continue to discuss moments in the life of a Christian and how they interact with our Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in this year. Happy Christmas and happy 2020.